listening to Lead Defend, the podcast designed to help you grow in faith and leadership as you navigate the stages of your young adulthood. We address important faith topics and provide practical life tips, helping you build your faith as you engage in a changing culture. Here are your hosts, Seth Tucker and Ryan Scantling. Uh, hey, this is Ryan and Seth here, and we are here with Abdu Murray. And Abdu uh, gets the privilege to speak this year at Lead Defend Conference. We are here recording this live. Abdu, just tell us a little bit about yourself to start out with. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. It's really a privilege. Um, so Abdu Murray, and uh, people always ask me, I do a lot of Q&As. And the first question they ask me is, Abdu and Murray? What the heck's that all about? <laughs> um, and the answer is is that uh, when we came over, so my last name is Mirai. But uh, when we came over uh, to the United States, I guess the, but the story I understood was that they asked us, what's your last name? And we said, Mirai. And they said, okay, Murray. So they just wrote it down for us. So now I'm Lebanese and Scottish. Oh, um, there you go. So, uh, but no, I, I, um, I'm from the Detroit area. Uh, I was raised uh, as a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Most of my life I was a Muslim. I became a Christian in the year 2000 after a nine-year search. You survived Y2K, and then you decide. I, I, su- surprisingly enough, I <laughs> wow. did. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Um, it's funny because it actually figures into my story oh, yeah. a little bit. Is Really? Oh, yeah. So I was on the verge of becoming a Christian. And I saw all the evidence mounting in favor of Christianity. And in 1999, I heard all these evangelical voices talking about how this is going to be the end of the world. This is the time of the end times. And the Arabs are going to rise against Israel. And God wants to defend Israel. And I'm like, well, doesn't God love Arabs too? Mm. So that kept me from accepting Christ for a while. Wow. God seems like a conditionally loving God. He he discriminates based on DNA. That doesn't seem right. so Y2K happened, the world did not end, and neither did my, my journey yeah. of faith, actually. So I was actually able to continue on and press on, and I became a believer in June of 2000. Uh, I am a senior vice president for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Uh, I was a trial lawyer um, for 16, 17 years. I still am a lawyer, by the way. Um, but I uh, do uh, speaking and writing uh, for Ravi Zacharias Ministries. Yeah. I've never heard anybody incorporate Y2K yeah, into no, their testimony never. story. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> never. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, it was, it was part of it. It was part of it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's you know, awesome. Tell, real quick as well, tell us about uh, a couple of your books. Yeah. Uh, just kind of give their names, kind of what they address. Sure, absolutely. So my, my most recent two that are out now uh, are Saving Truth, my most recent one, and then Grand Central Question is the one that came out in about, I'd say, 2000 and uh, I want to say 2011, 2014, something like that. I can't remember exactly when it came out. Um, so Saving Truth is my most recent one, and that basically is a response to the, 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 the post-truth culture we currently yeah. find ourselves in. It's not a postmodern culture. No. I think postmodernism is dead. Mm. That's gone. Post-truth yeah. is mm. alive and well. In fact, it's in its, it's in its infancy as a cultural phenomenon, but it's actually not in its infancy as a human phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, and I can explain that later, but yeah. the post- saving truth is meant to address the idea that now we don't think that truth doesn't exist. We do think it exists. We're okay with truth existing, but we subordinate it. We make it on the bottom shelf to our feelings and our preferences. That matters more. And um, how do you offer truth to a culture that says my feelings matter more or that says truth exists, but I don't care? Yeah. Yeah. How do you do that? And that's what the book's all about. Uh, and sort of talking about confusion on certain areas. Mm-hmm. And then how do you get clarity on those certain areas? Well, Grand Central Question is a book that takes a look. It's a comparative religion book, essentially. So it takes yeah. a look at multiple different faiths, sort of the three biggest competitors to Christianity. Secular humanism, which is basically atheism with a sort of a nice face on it. Um, uh, Pantheism, which is the Hinduism, the Buddhism, Shintoism, and every other ism and schism of the East, coupled with all the Western daughters of 
pantheistic thinking like Scientology, like the Oprahs and the Chopras of the world and all that, and then uh, Islam, the religion of my birth. And it basically says all worldviews are trying to answer a bunch of different questions in life, but they center on a grand central question. Hmm. And the gospel affirms that question as the right question, but offers a solution that actually is coherent. So how do you center on what people care about, yeah. speak about that, and offer them a solution from the gospel's perspective? So you affirm the search while you, you don't necessarily affirm their solution, but you right. offer them a better solution. So grand central question is all about that. That's great. And, and we really kind of want to focus some of this conversation on that idea of confusion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that we live in a society where confusion exists. Uh, we, yeah. we can't deny that. Right. Um, but really how we think about confusion maybe has shifted and changed. It really has. And so so elaborate a little bit about that without giving away too much in your book, but yeah, talk yeah. a little bit about that and, and how you see that being detrimental. Well, you know, Ryan, it's funny because the irony here is that we live in an information age and yet we're more confused than we've ever been. Wow. Um, so we have all the sharing of information and disinformation and misinformation. And so it's no wonder we find ourselves in a world of confusion despite all of our technological advances. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the stage here is the different though. So in the 80s, for example, I'm a child of the 80s, growing up in the 80s, if you were sexually confused, for example, all it meant was you were sexually confused. It literally was taken at face value. You know, Johnny will get over it. Alice will get over it. Or if we just nurture them through, their confusion will clear up and they'll find their way. Now, confusion is actually a signal for something bigger. Like, oh, mm. it must mean, it must mean that Alice is a lesbian or Johnny is transgender. Um, Why does it have to mean that? Can it just mean the kid's confused? And so I think what we are seeing though is what I call the rise of the age of confusion or the culture of confusion, where confusion becomes a virtue and clarity is a sin. So just think about it for a second. If you're confused sexually and you you talk about it, you're a hero. If you're confused morally, Mm -hmm. you're progressive. If you're confused religiously, all paths lead to God, you're tolerant. Mm. So con- sexual confusion is heroic, moral confusion is progressive, co- uh, religious confusion is tolerant. But if you're clear on sexual boundaries, you're a bigot. Mm. If you're clear on moral restrictions because you believe in an objective morality, then you're regressive. And if you're clear that maybe there is one way to God and that way has actual evidence in its favor, well, that's considered intolerant. So confusion becomes a virtue and clarity becomes a sin. And the reason is because we have an innate almost insatiable need as human beings to be the god of our own universe, to, to be the god of our skull size. It's where world. we default. Yeah. It yeah. is. It's a, def- a default because when I, I put it this way, the, the first post-truth people were the first people. Hmm. Uh, Adam and Eve, you think about the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were planted in a garden and they were told the truth. Your purpose in life is to be with me, to be in communion with me. God walks and talks with them in the cool of the yeah. day, as it were. So there you have this obvious truth being told to them. And he says, because he wants relationship, there's this one tree of the garden you shall not eat of, because the day you eat of it, you shall die. And they live with that. Who knows how long? They live with it for a long time, Mm. never even tempted them. Satan comes along, he lies. He misquotes God. He says, did Mm -hmm. God really say? And then what happens? They misquote him back. So if you notice the subtlety of the story, and you guys know this well, is that when they quote God back, they misquote God, they actually add more rules than God imposed. So he says, don't eat of it. They said, we can't even touch it. He didn't say that. He Mm -hmm. said, don't eat of it. So what that showed Satan was, they want to be the sovereign. Wow. So their preference, a post-truth culture is one that elevates preferences and feelings over facts and truth. Mm. So their preference was, 
I want to be God, even though the truth was they were supposed to be with God. So the seeds of the post-truth culture of confusion were planted in the very first garden, and now it's borne its own fruit in our day, and we're eating of it like it's going out of style. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, that's a good word. And so so tell us how the gospel interacts mm-hmm. with the confused culture, and does it bring clarity? Does it enable us to sit in confusion? How, how does the gospel interact with a confused people? Well, I, I like the way you put that at the end there. Does it, does it allow us to sit in confusion? Because there is a virtue in sitting in confusion. Yeah. But you can't stay there forever. Mm. In other words, you get all this, this, this talk sometimes. People will say to people, you know, you seem so arrogant that you seem to know all the answers. And it just seems super arrogant and cocky to say, I know the truth. Um, I sit in the question. You know, and it sounds so deep when we say that. Oh, I live in the question. Okay, that does whatever. sound deep. Right, right now, I'm just thankful to be sitting next to you. You're yeah. way deeper than I am. <laughs> it sounds so deep, right? Yeah. And really, yeah. all it's saying is, is that I'm not going to look for the answers. Wow. Uh, wow. Because I don't want to create a, a us versus them mentality or whatever. Yeah. It's basically, it sounds deep, but it really, it's, I hate to say it this way, but usually, not always, but usually it's lazy. Mm. Um, hey, we we're, we're talking, uh, this is young adult podcast. Yeah. They yeah. know lazy. <laughs> I, I mean... <laughs> You're talking about somebody who probably yeah. is listening to this podcast after spending a day watching Netflix. So yeah, right. Well, you know what though? So it, we're spoon-fed things, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Netflix, we binge watch, yeah. uh, so we can't wait. You know, and I do this too. I mean, look, I like to binge watch the the, the, the best episodes of whatever it is. What's your show anyway, right now? Well, right now, um, my my son and I are getting into Battlestar Galactica. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, okay. That's old school. Okay, and that's how you transition from the yeah. deep end of the pool to the yeah. shallow end of the pool. Well, there you go. And <laughs> also aging me in front of all your, in front of your audience. <laughs> but you know what I love about this stuff is that you called it old school, and it was a 2004 show. Oh, you know? oh. So, yeah. Um, my, my son, my 15 year old, loves it. Here's why we like it though. This is interesting because that show, and I I mean, this is the kind of shows I actually actually watch. It doesn't spoon feed you Mm. the obvious. It lays out complex stuff. Things like abortion are talked about in the show. Things like suicide bombing, um, purpose, monotheism versus polytheism. That's a big element in the show. And it doesn't spoon feed you everything. Now, it's got some appro- uh, elements that my son and I have to, I have to fast forward through some things because you just have to when we talk it through. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, this is the kind of thing I think that it allows you to sit in ambiguity because you can wrestle with the answers. But sitting in ambiguity is different than sitting in confusion. Mm-hmm. See, sitting in confusion says there's no answer, just give it up. Yeah. But allowing ambiguity. See, the Bible answers lots and lots of questions, but it leaves some stuff for us to discover eventually, and maybe even in the hereafter, the secret things belong to the Lord. He has not told us everything, and he might never tell us everything. We're allowed to do that in the gospel, but it does provide to us certainty as well. So one of the reasons why I think the culture wants us to sit in confusion is because if we sit in confusion, then, there are, then, then everything's fuzzy. There are no bright lines. There are no restrictions, therefore. And so we think that leads to freedom. But yeah. it doesn't lead to freedom. Wow. What it leads is to chaos because we've confused freedom for a different word altogether, which is autonomy. Mm. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we, freedom is something every human desires. Yeah. We really long for it, but, but we, I think we're confused, mm-hmm. right, about what freedom is. We are. So, so talk to us about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because you look at all of our, the, 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 the movies we think of when we think of freedom. The first thing yeah. the movie you think of is Braveheart. Braveheart. Right, because the, the last line of the movie Amen. is freedom. Um, <clears throat> Great movie. Yes. Uh, so, uh, Braveheart. The you would Patriot. know, Murray. Yeah, exactly. I'm Scottish. <laughs> um, 
for the record, I'm not Scottish. Um, however, um, uh, we uh, that movie is about freedom. Amistad, great movie about this slave. It's a true story about mm-hmm. a slave ship where there's yeah. a revolt and are they considered property or whatever. And the, and, the, and, the, and the phrase the guy says is, give us our free. He can't speak English. So he says, give us our free. And it's so compelling. We love freedom. That's the hallmark of Western society. But we stopped talking about freedom a long time ago, and we started talking about autonomy. Now, those two things sound synonymous, but they're not. So autonomy has two Greek root words, autos, which means self, and namos, which means law. So when you are truly autonomous, you are a law unto yourself, Mm. which means there are no restrictions. I can say, think, act, and even be whatever I want, whenever I want, in whatever way I want. Hmm. So I'm a law unto myself. But I want you to think about the consequences here. If I'm a law unto myself, if I define reality as we know it, um, and preferences matter more than truth in a post-truth culture. So I am a preference-driven, autonomous creature. But so are you, Ryan. Mm. You are autonomous. You you are a law unto yourself. You are the ruler of your skull-sized world. And I'm the ruler of my skull-sized world. Here's the problem. We don't live in skull-sized worlds. Our skulls clash, as it were. So my preferences might clash with your preferences. Mm -hmm. Now, if my preferences and your preferences don't add up and we interact, the problem is this. If truth is no longer the thing that determines who's right and who's wrong, what will? It won't be truth. It'll be power. Yep. And what ends up happening is someone in our quest for autonomy, someone ends up enslaved. So isn't that ironic? Is that our quest for freedom leads to enslavement because we don't understand freedom. Freedom is not unbounded. Freedom necessarily has to have boundaries. Uh, J.K. Chesterton said this. He said it so beautifully. Even art. We think of art as limitless and, you know, license, artistic license and freedom of art. And that's great. It is true. He says, but Chesterton points it out. He's he's a realist. He says, um, even art has limitations because the essence of every picture is the frame. Wow. Um, And then he says, you may free, you you may feel yourself free to draw a giraffe with a short neck, only to find yourself free not to draw a giraffe at all. Whenever you enter into the world of facts, whenever you enter the world of reality, you are bound by limitations all the time. Um, And he's right. So freedom requires restriction. And as Os Guinness puts it, the only restraint that doesn't kill freedom is self-restraint. Mm. You can't have government-imposed restraint, but you have to have self-restraint. And if one thing binge-watching is all about, it's in the name. When you binge, binge. you have no self-control. And look, I'm Until saying, Netflix says, <clears throat> are you still watching? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then what happens? What happens when it's over? You, what, what do they call it? A show yeah. hole? A show you, hole. You know, you're in the yeah. show hole. You, the you self-defeated moment. Where, yeah, like, I'm not saying I've ever been in one, but the <laughs> self-defeated moment where you're like, what do I do next? <laughs> yeah, you, you, you speak from I've your never mind. felt. Yeah, they, they, but you've heard I about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I speak for my generation. Yeah, exactly. I speak for my people. Right, exactly. You're like, what do I do now? Um, because we don't have the ability to control ourselves yeah. anymore. Because we, we're told we don't have to. But freedom requires restriction. It, it always does. My classic example is this, is that, so we moved into a house when my son, I have three kids. My son was uh, like eight or 10 months old. Can't remember, he's 10 months old, 10 months old. Looking at this house, and it has this big backyard. Like this is the kind of of backyard a kid can really sink his teeth into and really enjoy, run all over creation if he wants to. Wonderful, problem. It backed up to a main road, and these cars and trucks are whizzing by all the time, Mm. but there's no boundary. So kids being kids, the ball will bounce under the street, they won't look, and they'll get pulverized. So because of that fear that they'll do that, my son would have no freedom to enjoy the purpose of that backyard. Yeah. What we needed to implement was a boundary. Not too many, just one boundary. You can't play beyond this. And because we, we instituted that boundary, 
my kids were able to enjoy the purpose of the backyard. In other words, they had freedom to enjoy the backyard because there was a restriction. And now that they're older, they have self-restraint and they can mm -hmm. enjoy the backyard. So freedom does require some restraints. And this is where I think um, this generation gets it wrong about the Bible. They think the Bible is a freedom restricting book. Yeah. God sets up these rules because dusty old men in a dusty old time thought that certain behavior was icky and mm. they used God to justify their rules. That's not why. That's not why. It's a freedom inspiring book. It's against autonomy because that leads to chaos, but it's not against freedom. It's a freedom inspiring book. Yeah, today's culture would say you should put up barricades and keep the cars from driving on that street behind your house. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, it's like, and this can't work, right? It's somehow someone's ability to do whatever yeah. they want has to be uh, uh, expressed. But, yeah. but, but, you, but you, you, you have a great point, Seth, is that whenever you allow someone else to have unbounded freedom, you restrict someone else. You cannot live in a society without restriction. It just cannot happen. Yet we keep telling ourselves we can do it. And so we run into these problems. So a boy can identify as a girl and compete on a girl's team. Meanwhile, all the girls don't get the scholarships. So when mm. you give someone freedom, you take, someone, take away someone else's, <clears throat> wow. no matter what you do. So is it wise to put, to put boundaries around our confusion? I think it is. I think, and truth is that boundary. So our confusion, we can sit in the confusion as long as we recognize that we're not stale, being stale or stagnant in that confusion. Sitting in it momentarily to catch your breath to say, okay, what direction do I go into? The Bible speaks to this specifically. Thy word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. Why? Because it's dark outside. Yeah. We live in a confused world, and the Bible recognizes this already. But if you stick to something that is a sure light, it will get you there eventually. So we put boundaries around our confusion, and a boundary is we don't stay there forever. So we put a temporal boundary on mm -hmm. our confusion. Not a physical boundary, maybe an intellectual boundary. We exclude that which is false, and so you can do the process of elimination. Exclude this, exclude that, exclude this, until you come to a thought thinking that's the truth there. And you can get there if the truth is your guide. Wow. So it's a temporal boundary. Don't sit there forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Um, let me see here. Uh, what we, We've had a podcast already uh, that we'll have now played probably a couple weeks ago on uh, homosexuality and transgenderism, yeah. but but yeah. well, let's let's talk about gender and sexuality. That's an area that you've you've done yeah. some education in, and yeah. you are knowledgeable yeah. in. So let, let's talk about that yeah. too. Longest, it comes along that's the with, longest it chapter. Along with this. It is because it's the longest chapter yeah. in Saving Truth yeah. on this issue. And the reason why I want it to be the longest chapter is because this is a sensitive issue, and you have to approach it. You have to approach it with sensitivity and with grace. Um, because there are those who actually have legitimate gender dysphoria. It's a real condition. Yeah. Then there are those who are using those who yeah. have that, uh, that, that, that uh, condition as the poster child for their right to do whatever they want. Um, and you have to mm -hmm. understand who you're dealing with at the time. So what I would say is this. The chief fundamental thing I think that we get wrong as Christians is that we say what the Bible says. We don't say why it says it. Yeah. And I think if we were to understand what the Bible says in light of why it says it, you can reach out to this generation I think much better. Yeah. Example, I was at uh, a public university doing an open forum, and my colleague was actually doing the main speaking, and I joined him for Q&A. But there was a question came from the audience, and it was my turn to answer the question. A young lady walks up to the microphone, and she's a lesbian. And she says, I've looked everywhere for answers about my sexuality, but I've not find out, found any. Can you tell me what does Christianity have to offer me about my sexuality? So I told her, you know, I started off by saying this is that the first thing is you're, you, what you've likely uh, encountered is Christians who are telling you how horrible of a sinner you are and how you're going to hell and all this stuff. And she started to get a little bit upset oh, yeah. because clearly she had. Yeah. Um, so I, as a Christian, believe that I need a savior. 
that I am broken in every way. Mm. Morally, sexually, physically, you name it, I'm broken. You're broken in every way too. Not because you're gay, but because you're human. And so yeah. we are both broken and we need a savior who's not us to save us from ourselves. That's the first step. So you and I, I can't look at you and say you're less than me. I can't, mm -hmm. I have no right. No. Um, but second is that the Bible's clear on what it says. It's clear. It's not a mm. mystery. Sex is between a man and a woman within the bonds of marriage. Now the question I have to ask you is, why does it say it? So doesn't it, it that it just says it arbitrarily, why? So here's my nutshell of this, okay? Yeah. And I think this is something we have to import, communicate importantly, is the first thing I said is that the Bible is a book that uniquely says, it's the only one that says this. No other religious text will say this, and certainly atheism doesn't say this. You are made in God's image. You, you're, you have attractions to the same sex, but you are made in God's image. You can't even take it away from yourself. You can't. It's indelibly marked on you. That means you're sacred. Yeah. You are a beautifully, sacredly made human being. Now, if you're the product of a process and you're sacred as a product, that means the process mm. is sacred. And if you don't put boundaries around the process, wow. yeah. then it becomes common. That's why there's a porn epidemic in this country. Yeah. That's why men yeah. think of women as objects to satisfy their desires mm. because sex has become common. It's no longer sacred. God yeah. wants you to experience the sacred. Now, why between a man and a woman within the bonds of marriage? Because marriage allows us to reflect the divine. You have a unity of diversities. So a man is physically, psychologically different and emotionally than a woman. Blessedly so. Amen. And a woman is blessedly different than a man. And yeah. so they complement each other. So you have the unity of diversities. The Bible says that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become echad in the Greek. Echad does not mean one numerically. It means unified. And in the Hebrew yeah. Shema, hear O Lord, the Lord, hear O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is echad. He is unified. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we are to reflect the divine because God is a unif unified diversity, one, one being in three persons. Marriage is the gift and sexual union is the gift that allows us to reflect the divine. Is that, does that mean you're not a Christian if you're not married? Absolutely not. It's just an added gift mm -hmm. and anything that takes you away from that deprives wow. you of something. God doesn't want you mm. to not engage in this and such activity. He wants you to engage in this activity, like the, the, the sanctity of marriage and the sexual union within that, yeah. because he wants you to reflect the divine. And in the end, what is the, the eventual uh, end of all of us? Whether you're single or married in this life, it's a marriage. The, 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 the Christ marries his bride, the church, a unity yeah. of diversities once again. So God wants wow. that for you. I got done with that answer and she was crying her eyes out and we prayed together. Yeah. Now I've had that answer given at various, various places. Is, the, is it a panacea to get rid of all the anger? No. no, but it does start the conversation because people are actually saying, you think I'm made in God's image. Yeah. I've never heard mm. that before. And there's something about this, there's a moral element to this. And I think that's a great place to start. But just saying what the Bible says doesn't help. But saying why it says it along with what it says, that bridges bridges barriers. Even with the gender thing. The yeah. gender thing as well. Yeah, and I would I would also like say that sometimes, especially with, with our audience being seventeen to twenty five year olds, yeah. I'd encourage you to also uh, not only do we need to say why it says it, but you sometimes don't know what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. So I would say take the time to read it. Don't just regurgitate Absolutely. something that you've heard, yeah. but read the scriptures yeah. and see, honestly, too, the, the redeeming qualities in scripture towards 
all these people uh, because that that is the thing is is such were some of 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 you right and such were some of us mm-hmm. and so yeah. um, so find the grace for yeah. others that you have experienced yourself and also a judgmentalness happens when Christians think that because you become a Christian, you should suddenly have all your desires abandoned like this. What does Paul say? Paul does not say, walk by the Spirit and you will not have the desires of the flesh. He doesn't say that. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, which Mm. means you still have them, but you don't gratify them because the spirit of self-control will dominate. Now, does that mean you're not going to fail? Of course not. Here's what I would say to your audience as well. This is important. I think that the words homosexuality and heterosexuality are very unhelpful. Here's why. Because we equate heterosexuality with sexually moral and homosexuality with wow. sexually immoral. Good word. It's not true. Heterosexuality is yep. just sexually normal, but not moral. I know plenty of heterosexuals who are as far Very away from moral, moral as you can possibly be. Yeah. So what it creates is a, 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 an atmosphere where the church reaches down, not out. And yeah. if you mm. realize people with same-sex attractions are broken just as much as you and I are. And Jesus came not to condemn the world, yeah but to save the world. That's what he came. God, he, the God sent his only son for that reason. That's all of us. We have a phrase in Arabic, wow. and Arabic phrases are always more colorful than American phrases. <laughs> so American <laughs> phrase we have is, um, we're all in the same boat, right? We're all in the same boat, yeah. we're all in this together. In Arabic we have one, it's it's which means we're all in the same wind. The connotation is we all smell the same stink. Um, <laughs> uh, and the idea is that we created the same, we created that stink. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We all smell just as bad. Yeah. And we need the, yeah. the, the aroma of Christ to, to, to fix us up. So I would say don't mm. be judgmental, but also don't be compromising on your convictions either. So that, that last little That's word good. you said, like th- th- we all have the same, uh, uh, like we all need the same Christ, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a hope that we all have. Yeah. And, and I want to finish on the message of hope yeah. that, that we can have in this confused culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's, let's talk about hope, because yeah. you, you address that in, in your book. Yeah, I do. Uh, in fact, the last chapter is it's yeah. called The Sun Through Fog, S-O-N, Through Fog. The mm. reality of hope is see that— See what you did there with that. Yeah, see that? Yeah. My, my daughter came up with that, actually. <laughs> her, her idea. That's her really? idea for the last chapter. Um, secular hope is fleeting. It's a fleeting thing. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I hope that the Starbucks is open because I need caffeine today. Uh, I hope my marriage works out. I hope I get an A on this test or I get into the college I want. That's one level of hope. But a true abiding lasting hope is despite the circumstances, it will work out. Mm-hmm. That is a transcendent hope. And the reason why I think it only works in the Christian faith and in no other faith is that you're not dust. The world tells you, Lawrence Krauss would say, for example, we're, we are all cosmic pollution. We're completely irrelevant. That's wow. not what the Bible is all about. In fact, the message of the cross is that every decision you make has moral mm. consequences. You affect the divine, you affect eternity. What better compliment can God pay to you than saying that your actions echo into eternity? Atheism basically is the idea that your actions are temporary. When they're done, they're done. Hitler and Teresa, Mother Teresa, got the same reward, oblivion. It means nothing. Mm, But if there is a transcendence, then there is a hope. And Jesus secures that hope, not just by saying, hey, I have some good moral teaching. He died on the cross to pay a debt we cannot pay. And he literally, as a matter of history, and you can look up the YouTube videos where I've debated this and all these kind of things, as a matter of history, he rose from the dead. The reason why I have hope, and hope does not disappoint, Paul tells us, is that the reason why hope doesn't disappoint, because Jesus actually rose from the dead. Not, I think he rose, he actually rose from the dead. And a guy who rises from the dead 
has credibility. <laughs> so when he tells me I'm made in God's image and he can restore that image, I believe him. That's right. And that's wow. the hope that I think this ends on. We're in a confused world, but he is the clarity. He yeah. is the clarity. There, just finish this off. There was a secular band named Crash Parallel. Uh, it's a secular Canadian band. They have a song. It's called Rain Delays. Wait, Canadians sing? Uh, it's, it's, they sing pretty well, actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll believe you. Well, listen to the words of this song, right? This is a secular band. And they, they give me permission to quote the entire song in my book. This is what they say. They, they point this out. In a culture of confusion, essentially, where we try to find personal truths, we're putting our faith in things that are neither personal nor true. And they, this is, this is wow. this a couple of lyrics from the, from, the, from the song. Sleepless nights and endless days and mini skirts and serving trays and waking up from rain delays. Living off the alcohol with no one but a cab to call, lost inside a bathroom stall, this carbon copy life withdrawal. Then they say this, I need someone to believe in, someone to fill wow. this space with grace, someone to look into my eyes and touch my face, someone to make me strong, someone to make me belong, mm. someone to make me alive. The wow. gospel is so powerful, secular bands say it by accident. Because wow. it gives hope. Yeah. Indeed. It gives hope. Well, hey, you have a friend who needs to hear this message. And so we would encourage you just to share this episode with them. And if you if you are kind of captivated by what you've heard, Abdu Murray has books, A-B-D-U Murray, Saving Truth, and uh, Grand Central Question. We would so encourage you to check that out. Hey, thank you guys for listening. That's it for this episode of Lead Defend. Until next time, check out our website at leaddefend.org for details on the next Lead Defend conference or shoot Seth and Ryan an email at leaddefend at absc.org. If you want to help us out, rate and review Lead Defend on your podcast app and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Now go lead. A podcast from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention.